So we're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I pray that you do. Turn to the book of Psalms. I taught this lesson in uh, the Fagan Sunday School class a few Sundays ago, and um, it's one that um, after going through my Bible, I'm going to go back to just for the reason that I believe it's fitting for right now. I believe it's one that is uh, very much needed. So Psalm chapter 146 is where we'll be. Psalm chapter 146. And as is our tradition, when you get there, if you would stand just in our way of giving reverence to the living and powerful Word of God. The song that was just sung before we read it, I want you to remember that um, part of the song, it said, um, uh, Jesus, only Jesus, help me trust you more and more. And that's something that I, I think that we're going to learn from this psalm this morning. And that is my prayer, that is my hope, is that we, if there's nothing else we carry away from this, is that we understand that our trust is only in one thing. And that is in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the promises that He gives. And our trust is in nothing else in this world. Okay? Alright, so let's read Psalm chapter 146 beginning in verse 1. He says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them. He keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked, He brings it to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations... Praise the Lord. If you would, be seated. As we get into this psalm this morning, I think that all of you will agree that for a long time now, but especially during times like our recent events, elections and politicians and whatnot, we have become a nation that our hope seems to be in what happens to America. We, and don't get me wrong now, as I preach this this morning, I'm not saying that we shouldn't support the godly things, that we shouldn't uh, fight for laws that are godly, that, that we shouldn't try to um, have leaders in place that lead in godly ways. I'm not saying that. I believe that we should do all these things. Amen? Yes. But at the same time, 
I believe that it's important that we understand that as we do all that, as we pray, as we, um, as we uh, try to get leaders and laws in place that are actually going to lead in godly ways, if God sees fit to move it another direction, then it should not decrease our hope. It should not put us in a place of depression, in a place of defeat. Y'all with me this morning? And I believe that's what this psalm is going to teach us this morning. But I want you to notice the way that this psalm begins and the way that this psalm ends. Notice it begins with a a plea, if you will, with an exhortation. Now an exhortation is is different than an encouragement. What what an exhortation is, is it's, uh, it's making an urgent appeal. So like for instance, if you had an army and this army is being beat back by the enemy and they are tempted to retreat, the captain or the general or whoever it may be may step up face first to the enemy, hold the flag up high, and with an exhortation he might say, hold the line. And in that command comes an urgent appeal to do something that is actually opposite of what you feel like doing. They feel like retreating because they're being beaten beaten back by the enemy. And yet this exhortation comes and it comes from someone that actually has authority, that actually has um, the, the means to be able to inspire in you to move you forward. And this general of this captain, he steps up and he tells this, this, um, this line of soldiers to hold the line. And from that exhortation, they step forward and they push back into what they're, the opposite of what they're tempted to do. And what we have right here is an exhortation because I don't know the context of this psalm. We don't even know for certain who wrote it may have been David, Hezekiah. We don't know for certain who the author of this psalm was. But one of the things that we see in that is that it begins with an exhortation and it ends with an exhortation. We also know that Israel has a history of being in bondage, out of bondage. In bondage, out of bondage. They would be delivered from bondage and then they would do evil in the sight of the Lord and then they would go back into bondage. That's the story of their life through and through. And so they were always probably tempted to be in a place where they felt like they were defeated, where they felt like that maybe God wasn't with them anymore. And here this author, whoever he is, he steps up with an exhortation. And the first thing he says is, Troops, praise the Lord. We have an obligation and a duty to praise the Lord our God no matter what the circumstances are in this life. The truth of the matter is the promises of God do not change based on your circumstances. The promises of God remain the same because we look forward to those promises. We don't have the fulfillment of those promises now. We have the payment for the fulfillment. When Jesus came, He did not come to deliver the redemption at His first coming. He came to purchase and pay for it. 
and He will deliver the redemption. Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are eagerly awaiting the adoption, the, the, um, the new bodies that He has for us. These are the promises that we look forward to. And so no matter what happens in this life, it should not change the hope that we have in the promises that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Alright? So he says here, guys, no matter what circumstance you're in, I don't care if you're in bondage in Babylon, I don't care if you're in bondage of Assyrians, I don't care, I don't care if you're in bondage of Rome, wherever you are, whatever your circumstances are, you praise the Lord. And then notice that he ends with the same exhortation in Psalm 146 verse 10. Notice how he ends. The Lord will reign how long? Forever. Another reason why you should always have in your heart a desire to praise the God of all creation, the God more importantly that is your Lord, your Savior, your God. And he begins, guys, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your country is facing, no matter what you personally are facing, you keep praising the Lord. He's going to reign forever, no matter what happens in our nation. Okay? Now let's keep on going in verse 1. So he starts with an exhortation. He says to everyone, praise the Lord. Then he comes down and he gets even more personal. You know why? Because it's easy for me to stand up here and preach this to you because I can put on a good show. But the truth of the matter is there are times in my life that I don't have the hope in the Lord the way that I should. That I get depressed. That I get down. And so he moves here from the exhortation of the congregation to an exhortation to his own inner being. And notice what he says next. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Now what's important here is when you go back and you study this, you'll learn that he's not just saying, O oh my soul, as in just, just uh, let me praise the Lord. This word in which we translate it, three words, O oh my soul, comes from a Hebrew word which literally means our entire being. In other words, you could translate it like this. Praise the Lord with everything about me. With everything within me, let me give Him the praise that He deserves no matter what my circumstances are. And there are many times that I need to preach to myself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever spend more time listening to yourself than you do preaching to yourself? That is the number one problem, I believe, with most Christians today. They spend more time listening to themselves about their circumstances, about all that's going on around them. They spend more time focused on the wind and the waves than they do focused on the Lord Savior who walks on them and who controls them and who tells them peace be still and gives you the same promises that they will not overtake you. Our hope is not in this. And he has to preach to himself and he has to remind himself that listen, I know that just like Peter... Sometimes you focus on the wind and the waves. Turn around. Look back to where your hope comes from because it doesn't come from all the things in this world. So, praise the Lord, O oh 
my soul with everything that is in me. We have an obligation to praise Him. And you know, we talked about the difference in obligation and law this morning. Yes, when the old covenant there was law, in the new covenant there is a a new heart and a new mind that willingly wants to do. The, bur- the commandments of God are not burdensome. It's not something we do begrudgingly. It's not something that we do out of obligation. We serve Him and we do what we do because we see Him for who He is, because we know Him, because we love Him. And the only reason we loved Him is because He first... And so we see Him, we know Him. He said that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? While we were yet sinners. He goes on and says, while you were ungodly. He goes on and he says, while you were enemies. Enemies, ungodly, sinners, and yet He demonstrates His love for you in that He gives His only Son to save you. Romans goes on to tell us, if a man will give you his only Son, is there anything that he won't give you? If you'll give somebody your child, does that not demonstrate to you what they're willing to do for you? And so what we see in this is that even though we have an obligation here, and he says here, praise the Lord, people, we are, we are obligated to do so. It's not an obligation as in you have to do this because it's, your, it's a law, it's your duty. It's not what he's saying. He's saying we ought to do it just because of who he is. We don't do this. You don't come to church on Sunday morning and listen to the truths about God being sung and the truths about God being spoken just because it's the right thing to do. You get up and you come to church because you know who He is. He's demonstrated His love for you. You love Him. You have a new heart. You have a new mind that you still fight with the ways of the world and the sins of your fleshly nature. But inside of you, you love Him and you want to worship Him. And sometimes we need that drawn back out of us. And here He says to us, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Not because I have to do it, because I want to do it. Because I do know who He is. Because I do see His love demonstrated to me. Because He first loved me, I love Him. I love Him because I see the love that He has for me. And so I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying very simply, tomorrow you may not have the chance to praise God, but you've got it today. And he says, while I have my being, while I have breath within me, while I have the ability to praise Him, I'm going to praise Him. I heard a preacher tell a story one time about a woman. I think her name was Miss Clara, if I remember right. I can't even remember who the preacher was. Um, But he was saying that Miss Clara was the kind of woman that um, she praised God for everything, everywhere. He said it didn't matter if he was in Walmart and he walked across Miss Clara. She was going to turn around and say, Hey, pastor, praise God. 
No matter where she was at, she was just always giving God credit for anything that happened in her life, no matter what good comes. Praise God I'm able to buy my groceries today. Praise God I'm able to get up and breathe today. Praise God. And just everything in her life was about praising God. He said one day he got the phone call. Miss Clara had had a terrible stroke that left Miss Clara half dead. And he said he was so concerned because he was going to stay. They had put her in the nursing home and he was going to visit her in the nursing home. And whenever he was going down the hall, he was dreading walking in there because this Miss Clara that always praised God, he just really felt like she was going to be so down and so depressed. And because she, she half of her body is completely paralyzed, is what he said. She has no movement, no control over it at all. And he said that when he turned the curve to walk down the room, he looked and he said that his room, that Miss Clara's bed was facing straight for him. And whenever he turned the corner, he was going to the room, he said Miss Clara's door was open and she could see him coming. And he said that whenever he come walking down the hall, he didn't get just a few steps down through there. And she raised that one hand that she had. And she said, praise God. And he said he got in there and he said, Miss Clara, he said, you always praise God. He said, I was so worried that with you not having function of half of your body, that maybe you wouldn't be praising Him the way that you always praised Him. She said, Pastor, I may be half dead, but I'll praise Him with the half I got left. <laughs> while I have my being, while I have my ability, while I can praise Him any way that I can, guess what? He's worthy. I know who He is. I know what He's done. I know where he, Anybody know where He's brought you from? Anybody know where you used to be and where you are today? You used to be the enemy of God and now He has brought you in, adopted you and seated you at His table with His only begotten Son, you as His child forever and ever. I'm going to praise Him. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. And then look at verse 3. Here are some of the reasons why we may be tempted to not praise God. Put not your trust in princes. Now notice he doesn't say here, put not your trust in kings. He says princes. What were princes? Princes were upcoming kings, right? Princes were the ones that were going to be in authority. In other words, don't put your trust in any future leader. Don't put your trust in any past leader. Your trust has absolutely nothing to do with who is in leadership of our government. None. Now again, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some mourning in us because we see what has seemed to be a godly nation for so long turning away from God. And we should always mourn when we see people not moving toward God but away from God. I understand we mourn that, yes. But at the same time, my hope, my confidence is not in what happens to the United States of America. If this nation falls tomorrow and we get carried off in bondage to China or Russia, let me explain something to you. 
I don't put my trust in princes and leaders and the Lord is still worthy to be praised. And if I'm half dead being carried off somewhere, I'll praise Him with the half I got left. And I really believe that's what this author is trying to get across to us. More importantly, I believe that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to inspire in us as Christians today that we not get so caught up in what princes and kings do and don't do that we begin to lose our hope and we begin to lose our confidence because the United States of America is not your home. Unless, of course, you're not a Christian and you belong to this world, then, yeah, you have every reason to be upset. You have every reason to be hopeless. But if your hope and your trust is in Jesus Christ, you have every reason to praise Him no matter what circumstances you're in. Now, you might remember that the Bible does teach us to pray for those who are in authority. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, He tells us to pray for kings and princes and all of those who are in authority that we may be able to live uh, quiet, peaceable, dignified, godly lives. And so the Bible tells us to honor the king and so we have an obligation. You know, when Daniel was, uh, Daniel was serving, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were children when they were brought into the land of Babylon. Just children. They were took from their families and brought into the, the false king's house in order to be his servants. And yet they still honored him. They still served him. They still followed his laws and his rules unless... They contradicted. But they didn't rebel on him. They didn't hate him. No, Daniel, if he could help this king, you know what Daniel did? He helped him. If Daniel could pray for this king. This was a king that literally built a statue and made a law that said everybody has to bow down and worship the statue of me when the music plays. And yet Daniel still honored him. Daniel still prayed for him. Daniel still served him until the king commanded Daniel to do something that was contrary to his higher authority. And even then, he didn't do it out of a mean spirit, out of a you're not going to tell me what to do and this and this and that. Even then, he just simply went to his bedroom window he opened up his, his window. He faced the direction he was supposed to face. He got down on his knees and he prayed. Or in Shadrach, Meshach, and um, as uh, I heard an old black preacher say one time, used to, I used to sing and preach a lot in the African-American churches. And this, um, this, this preacher was up there and he said, I want to talk to you today about Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. I said, all right, preacher. <laughs> but old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were the ones that were commanded to bow down and to worship, and they said, we will not bow down. No, as a matter of fact, you can threaten us with whatever you want to threaten us with. We will follow you, we will serve you, we will honor you, but when it comes to this right here, the answer is no. And they didn't. 
And they would much rather have faced the fiery furnace. And Daniel would much rather have faced the lion's den. Daniel would much rather be eaten by lions than not praise and worship the God that he serves. And that is our duty now today. We have probably uh, government officials just like you had them when, when Trump was in there. But you've got government officials today that stand for many things that are not of God. And you have for many years. But we are commanded in the Word to honor the King. We are commanded in the Word to serve the King. We are commanded in the Word to pray for the King. And we do those things. Because at the end of the day, my confidence and my hope is not in whether I'm in Babylon or whether I'm in Israel here on this earth. My confidence and my hope is in the fact that my home is in a future place. And right now I'm a light in the midst of this darkness and I will serve Him and I will love the people that He puts over me and I will pray for them and I will be thankful for them. I will serve, but ultimately my trust is not in the princes. My trust is in the King of Kings. So put not your trust in princes. And here's why. He gives us some reasons why. He says, don't put your trust in a son of man. Now that's important because actually if you go back and read the Hebrew, do you know what this would be translated word for word? Do not put your trust in a son of Adam. Go look it up. If you've got a Strong's Concordance or a Bible Hub or an app that you can go back and you can find the original language, you'll see that this word literally is spelled Adam. Don't put your trust in princes, and here's the first reason, because they're all sons of Adam. What does that mean? Well, it simply means this. They are sons of the same fallen nature. They are sons of the same kind of heart, the same kind of mind. They are sons of the dust. Literally, Adam is a Hebrew word that means earth. It means dirt. He's a man of dirt. Don't put your trust in Leaders, because simply they are made of dirt. They're temporary. They're going back to the dust from which they came. Do you understand that? And the reason we know we're translating this correctly, look what he says next. He says, when his what? His breath departs. Do you know what he's talking about there? His life. When his life leaves him, he does what? He goes back to the dust from which he came. He is a son of Adam. President Trump, Mike Pence. I love Mike Pence. I didn't like Trump, but I love Mike Pence. <laughs> All right, my wife got on to me. I love Trump. All right. <clears throat> Listen, what was I saying? You're going to have to talk to God about this. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As much as I loved them, they are sons of Adam. They are made from the dirt just like you and me. They have the same sinful nature just like you and me. They're no different. And our only hope in any of them is that they have a good relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and He leads them. And I didn't see... A lot of evidence in that, just to be honest with you. And I still don't see any evidence in the prints we've got in there now. But again, my trust is not in those 
princes. It's not in the son of Adam in whom there is no salvation because when his breast departs, he returns to the earth. And you know what? Even though I agreed with us, with some of Trump's policies and I believe that we really needed some of that direction, uh, some of it uh, in, in the way that he was trying to go, notice what it says next. If he had had four more years, read this next part. On that very day, what happens? <laughs> You know what happened the day that Trump left office and Biden came in? His plans perished. And now Biden's plans are going forward. But you know what will probably happen in four more years? His plans will perish. Don't put your trust in princes. They're sons of Adam. When their breath departs, when their breath departs, they return back to the earth from where they came. And on that very day, his plans perish. Verse 5. But instead, blessed. Some versions translate this happy because that really is what it means. Happy. So in other words, we're talking about the difference in people who are depressed and down and tempted not to praise the Lord because their focus is on their circumstances and the, 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 um, the way that their nation is right now. That's the first group we're looking at. And he says, hey, don't do that. Your trust is in the wrong place. And now he moves on to the second group and he says, here's where you ought to be. Blessed, happy is he whose help or whose trust is the God of Jacob. Now I want you to notice that every other place in verse 1 and all these other places, when he talks about the Lord, he calls him Yahweh. The, um, the proper name for God that God gave Moses when Moses said, hey, you want me to go to these people and deliver them, what if they ask me who you are? Who is this God? Egypt's got a bunch of gods. Who am I supposed to tell them that you are? I said, here's what you do. You tell them that I am that I am. In other words, a literal translation of that literally means I exist. I just am. (laughs) I always have been. I always am. And I always will be. I have no beginning, I have no end. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega. I am the beginning of all things and I'm the end of all things. Everything that has this existence comes from the I Am. And when it ends, it's because I Am said it'll be no more. He has no dependence on anyone or anything. He has no need of anyone. God does not need you. Do you understand that? God wants you, but He does not need you. God was not sitting before creation up on His throne going, I'm so lonely. Man, I wish I had somebody. God don't wish nothing. God does what the psalm says. He is in heaven and He does whatever He pleases. Whatever pleases Him. He does what He does and it don't matter if you like it or agree with it or not. He is I Am. And He can do whatever He wants to do. Blessed is He whose help is the God of Jacob, not Yahweh. So why in this part does He use the God of Jacob? Well, I believe what He's trying to remind Israel of, because remember, Jacob became Israel. I believe what He's trying to remind Israel of is that happy is the man whose trust and whose help comes from the God of the promises. It was to Jacob and Israel that the promises of God were made. 
And so here he, again, I believe that he wants them to step back and remember that my hope is not in this world. My hope is not in the United States of America. My hope is in what God has promised me. And my faith and my trust is in what I look forward to in that. And only the promises of God can truly satisfy you. You know, we look for satisfaction every day in something different, right? New cars, new houses, new jobs. You get a new job, you say, man, it's the best job I've ever had. And then a month later, what is it? I hate this job. I hate the people I work with. Or you get a new car and you say, man, I love this car. And two months later, the thing's breaking down. You say, I hate this car. Nothing lasts in this world. And we're always seeking our satisfaction from things that cannot satisfy because it's all temporary and it's all fading away. And the minute that we see it begin fading away, no matter what it is, the minute we see the breakdown in it, we don't like it anymore. We're not satisfied with it anymore. We want the new one, the improved one. You ever got a new phone? Six months later, I just got the S20. The S21 just came out, right? We always want that next upcoming thing and we're never satisfied. And the reason being is because the only thing that will ever truly satisfy your heart is what you were made for. You were made for eternal things. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, God has placed eternity in our hearts. You know what that means? That means in you, you were made for eternity. The problem is sin entered into the picture and wiped eternity out. But in your heart, you know that you were made for eternity. You ever wonder why it's so hard for you to number your days? I mean, you think about it. If you knew that when you leave church today, that's going to be your time, that God's calling you home, you are going to die, and you're going to give an account. How would you respond differently in church this morning? A lot different. Because you're numbering your days. Moses told us to teach us, or Moses prayed, he said, God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So Moses knew that we didn't know how to number our days, and the reason being is because we have this, uh, I call it time confusion. In our hearts, we know we're made for eternity. But in our minds, we always think there's going to be tomorrow, right? Right? And so the only thing that's going to satisfy this heart that was made for eternity is eternal things because the minute this eternal heart sees the breakdown in the car, the house, the whatever it is, the suffering that your children go through, you, you name it. No matter what it is on this earth, the minute your heart sees that, it was not made for that and it don't satisfy. And so the only thing that can satisfy is when we keep our, prom keep our focus on the promises of God, the eternal things, the new body that never has pain, the new body that does not uh, die. There is no sorrow in this place. There is no darkness in this place. Go on and on and on. But when we focus on the promises of God, we are happy we are blessed. We are satisfied. He says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, the God of promises. And blessed and happy is the one whose hope is in the Lord. Yahweh. Here we go again. His hope is in Yahweh. And then notice those next two words. His God. You are happy when you understand that Yahweh, 
the great I am is your God. Now that's hard for our hearts to comprehend and take in, ain't it? He don't want to be my God. He don't want me for His child, does He? I mean, He knows who I am. But the minute that you understand that God demonstrated His love for you and that while you were yet a sinner, ungodly, an enemy, He died for you. He gave you His only begotten Son. He has demonstrated that He wants you, the enemy. That's the reason why Jesus commanded us Don't just love those who love you back, but love your enemies so that you may be perfect as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, we're commanded to love the way that God loves us. And does God only love those who love Him back? Nope. God loved His enemies. You and I. Let's keep reading. So happy is the one who keeps his focus on the promises. Happy is the one who knows that Yahweh is his God and that's where his hope is. And then he gives us some reasons. Remember how he gave us reasons not to trust in princes? Not to put our confidence in them. He's a son of Adam. His plans perish. He goes back to the earth. He's temporary. He's sinful. Now he's going to give you reasons that you should trust in God and your hope should be in Him and your focus should be on His promises. Notice what he says next. He says, this is the God in verse 6, who made heaven and earth. This is the creator of every good and perfect thing. He made heaven and earth. He made the sea and He made all that is in them. So the first reason that we to trust God and we can put our focus on His promises is because if He can make all this and we can even find a temporary satisfaction in a cursed world, how much more do you think you're going to find your satisfaction in the new and perfect world that's coming? And so He, has, he just says very plainly right here, guys, listen, this is the God who made this heaven and made this earth. This is the God who made the great sea. How many people love to sit on the beach and watch the ocean? Got any beachgoers in here? I figure we had a few beach people in here. Well, I I don't like the beach, but I like to stand there for a few minutes and just look at the ocean. I like to walk up to it and set my feet in the waves that are coming in just so I can remember how small I really am and how big God really is. And I like to think about how far it is to the next spot of land. I'd like to think about the great creatures that are underneath that thing. That's why I don't venture out very far. Listen, y'all going to go wherever you want to go. I'm going to stay right here close to the edge and that way I can get back out when somebody else is getting eat up. So this is the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And we should stand in awe of that. This is the God who keeps faith forever. You know, one of the greatest things about the new covenant, and we've been studying this on Wednesday nights, one of the greatest things about the new covenant is the fact that God says that it's no longer going to be about you following this list of do's and don'ts. But instead He says, I'm going to write my laws on their hearts and on their minds. I'm going to give them hearts and minds that desire to be true to me. 
Now, again, we fight with the flesh, right? That's what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7. He said, listen, I know what's good, and yet I find myself over here doing what's wrong. And he said, oh, who's going to save me from this man that I am? And then he ends, he says, thank God, Jesus Christ is going to save me from it. So we have this battle and this war that goes on inside of us. But let me tell you something. Before God causes you to be born again, there is nothing in you that really wants to be true to God. Everything in you wants to be true to you. And as long as it lines up with your satisfaction and your desires, then you're good with God. But the minute God comes in and says, hey, I don't want you doing this, you look back at God and say, I don't really care. <laughs> and that's who we are until we're born again. When we're born again, God writes His laws on our hearts and our minds and He renews our, the spirit of our minds by teaching us the ways of Jesus. And as we focus and gaze on Jesus, our great example, we have this desire inside of us to be true to God. And so here he says very plainly, this is a God who keeps faith forever. And the reason he keeps faith forever is because he's leading us, he's guiding us, we know him, he knows us. And then at the end of that new covenant, you can read it in Hebrews chapter 7 or 8, you can read it in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 31. Don't quote me on those, but I'm, uh, it's around in those areas. But here's what he says at the end of this new covenant. I will remember their sins no more. No more. Literally, they are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. You know how far the east is from the west? Take you a globe. Start it east. Start spinning. Stop it when you meet west. You never meet it. Because as long as you're going east, guess what? They never touch each other. The point being is this. God remembers our sins no more. And this is the God that keeps faith forever. You know, how many of you know that many times when we get ourselves in, how many of you know that the United States is in the place it's in because we are who we are? You have the kind of leaders that, that you want as far as the United States as a whole. That's exactly what you want. Many times, God gives us what we want. <laughs> and so here we have a situation to where God has given us what we want and we are tempted probably to think that maybe, maybe God's not with us anymore. And hear this author, because there was Israel here. Don't you think that when they're in Babylon and they've been, their temple has been ransacked and burned to the ground and they've been, their walls are broken down and the city is destroyed, don't you think that when they're walking in chains and they're going to Babylon, don't you think that they were sitting there thinking, maybe, maybe God's not with us anymore. I mean, I got myself in this mess, didn't I? You ever been there? I mean, I did this. I got myself in it. I got to get myself out of it. And here this author comes back and he tells these people of Israel, and I believe he says the same message to Christians in the United States today. He says, this is the God who keeps faith forever. 
no matter what your circumstances or the consequences of your actions have brought you into, this is not the God that, that quits keeping faith because you've made a bad decision. This is the God that keeps faith forever. I will remember their sins no more. And then verse 7, this is the God who executes justice for the, espre- for the oppressed. For sake of time, I'll just go through these very quickly. But this is a God that every wrong is going to be righted. Let me tell you something. Many times, even Jeremiah looked at it and he said, how long will the wicked prosper? How, how, how long are we going to sit here in this world and how long are we going to see that it seems like the wicked just prosper and the righteous perish? How long are the Christians going to be persecuted even though right now we're not really experiencing a great persecution? Please don't think that. But there is a level of persecution that has already begun. Alright? And the target is churches. I don't know if you see that yet, but it is. And so as this level of persecution keeps on, this author comes down here and he says, this is the God who executes justice for the oppressed. God is not always going to allow sinful administrations to just keep leading this way. Babylon's will fall. Assyrians will fall. Rome's will fall. And even United States of America's will fall. But God is going to right every wrong. The wicked will not always flourish The righteous will not always be oppressed. But instead, this is the God that is going to wipe away every tear. This is the God that is going to punish every evil. This is the God that is going to make everyone give an account for all the things done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. And our only hope is that we are found in Christ Jesus and He remembers our sins no more. It goes on, this is the God who gives food to the hungry. This is a great provider. This is a God who takes care of His people. This is a compassionate God. This is not a God who just sits down and sees you in your suffering and says, ah, just suffer, I really don't care. No, this is a God who gives food to the hungry. And like David, we are to to stand and look at all that God is and say, what is man that he is mindful of me? What is the Son of Man that He cares for me? But this is the God who gives food to the hungry. He says, this is the Lord who sets the prisoners free. This is the Lord who frees you from everything that holds you in bondage. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we have that in the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. That's pretty self-explanatory. Again, leaning on the compassion of God. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And that's always been true. The Lord loves those who follow Him in faith because that's the only ones that are righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. Now this is important. Listen, I understand that as America we need to be um, we, 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 we need Jerusalem had walls you know why they had walls to keep the people out that weren't supposed to be in but it didn't mean that no one was welcome 
No, their job was still to welcome the stranger. I believe in a, a process of, um, of uh, migrants being able to come into our country and be welcomed into our country. At one time, you were a migrant. And I believe here the Bible says the Lord watches over the sojourners, the travelers, the pilgrims. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, He brings it to ruin. And because of all of these things about who God is, and this is not an um, exhaustive list. This is a very minute list of reasons why we can trust God. But when you look through them, it's every reason to trust Him. It's every reason to make sure you're happy and not down and depressed no matter what happens in this life. It's every reason to know that we should want to praise Him no matter what we feel like doing in our hearts. You ever, you ever just not felt like praising the Lord? Here he says, you're focusing on the wrong things. And then he goes on, he says in verse 10, don't forget this, guys. Princes fall, go back to the dirt from which they come. I don't care if you were pro-Trump administration or you're pro-Biden administration this morning. I don't care. Let me tell you something this morning. Princes, they go back to the dirt from which they came. Their plans perish with them. But one thing about the Lord, He will reign forever. And His plans will never perish. His promises will never fail. And if you have your hope and your trust and your help comes from anything else, you're going to end up hopeless. You're going to not end up happy but depressed. And you are not going to praise the Lord the way that He deserves to be praised because you don't see Him the way that you should see Him. So Zion, Israel, the Lord will reign forever. He's your God, O Zion. And this is to all the generations. Do you think this was just true 2,000 years ago? You think it was just true back when this was going on three, 4,000 years ago? No, this is true to all generations. You know, I, I can, I've thought about it, so I'm not putting anybody down who's thought about this, but I've thought about the nation our children are going to grow up in. Right? But let me explain something to you that we all need to pay, pay attention to. The Lord will reign forever. And if He is their God, that's the most important thing. If He is their God, look what He says next, it's going to be that way forever and ever and ever. So, anybody want to take a shot at what the end result should be of this information according to the end of verse 10? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Vote for who you need to vote for. Yes. Be a part of the process that God allows you to be a part of. But don't you let this 
this nation and the, and the, the, the things that happen in here cause you to lose heart and to lose hope. And when you look at it and you turn on your CNN or your Fox News or your One News or whatever you listen to, whatever you watch, you can't let that stuff just crush you. Your hope is not in this world. And this world is not your home. But the Lord will reign forever. And if He is your God, you can praise Him with everything that you have.